Good morning and welcome to worship. And hello to the folks that are sitting outside. It's so good to see everyone in person and we're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today. We ask that you please continue to make reservations for in-sanctuary seating. And if you get the opportunity, encourage those who are not ready to sit inside to join us outside in the beautiful outdoors. A reminder that if you've never taken the safe sanctuary training or need to be recertified, you can do it all online. If you're undecided about volunteering here, you might want to think back to when you were a child and about those folks who gave their time to teach you the lessons of love. When you volunteer, you can give that same gift to younger generations among us. It's a gift that will remain long after we're gone. And last of all, don't forget about Monday night Bible study. It's online and it starts at seven o'clock. And if you'd like to join, there's an event on Facebook that has the link. The first scripture reading today comes from Romans 12 verses one through eight. And Paul is writing to the church in Rome to present his basic statement of the gospel. These particular verses are about placing your life before God. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings out the best of you and develops well-formed maturity in you. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body, each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we are made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other 
or trying to be something we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them and do everything with a smile on your face. The word of God for the people of God. Would you join me in an attitude of prayer, please? Loving God, we are gathered here to worship you and to give you praise. We are so grateful for all that you've given us and that you are always with us. We are thankful that you promise us a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that you call us to serve you with praise and thanksgiving. Father, we ask you, free us from our burdens and give us safety and refuge. Remind us to trust in your power so we may praise you without qualification. It is in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, that we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for life. We thank you for health. We thank you for the relationships we share. We thank you for everything that you bless us with. As the song that was just sung said, 10,000 reasons and then even more that we don't realize. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we lift up those anywhere who need healing in their bodies, their minds, or their souls. Lord, we lift up those who have recently lost loved ones. We lift up those who are unemployed, who are discouraged, who are just struggling. We lift them up. We ask that you would put us and others who worship you in their paths to show them your truth and goodness. Lord, we lift up all of those in war-torn areas of the world. We pray for peace and harmony. We lift up the leaders of this country and all the countries of the world that they would seek and do your will, your good and perfect will. Lord, now we come before you. Open our ears and our understanding as your word is proclaimed. Let us hear anew your words of life and love and peace. The words that were told to us again by your son when he came here to live and die for us. 
And now we pray as he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Are any of you lifeguards at a swimming pool anywhere or have been maybe as a summer job or something like that? Can any of you swim? No, I'm <laughs> Anyway, well, have you ever seen anybody that needed a lifeguard? Have you ever seen anybody drowning in any of your adventures? Well, it's an interesting thing, and I'm not, I'm not making light of it, but I mean, but uh, almost invariably, I've, I've, I've seen it happen a couple of times of the person who is in distress is waving their arms around and kicking and everything else, and the lifeguard can't go near them because the lifeguard has to safely retrieve them from the situation. So often, the lifeguard will just uh, let them get tuckered out, right? That's the thing to do. Just let them, uh, let them go until they can't go anymore, and then they can't fight the lifeguard. See, the danger is they'd bring the lifeguard down too, right? Or, or, or hurt the lifeguard in the process if they're kicking around and all that. I think that's the way it is for all of us in life a lot of times. Many times we kick around and think we can do it, and then finally when we give up, we realize that God's in charge and God is in control, and we're not. Although often, and, it's, and I, think it's, I think it partially has to do with the way God set things up, because we are creators, and we do have free will. Because of that, sometimes we think we can do more than we really can, and we misplace our efforts. important for us to remember, and my main point, actually, for today is, is that God always initiates salvation. God always initiates the saving for all of us and has always, all the way back to the beginning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus. We'll be looking at, we'll be looking at the book of Exodus this week and next week, a, a few pieces of it. We're not going to look at the, we're not going to look at the whole thing. And before I get started with actually today's scripture reading, I wanted to go to, today's scripture reading starts in chapter 1 at verse 8, but I wanted to read chapter 1, verse 1. If you had a Hebrew Bible, a tonic, whether it was a translation or you were still reading it in Hebrew, the name of Exodus is 
the first words out of the chapter. These are the names. That's the name of the book in Hebrew. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Now, someplace back there, couple hundred years before Jesus was born, approximately, in the Greek translation, which most of our translations come from, the name of the book was changed to Exodus, which of course means departure. It's when the Hebrew people left Egypt, or it's or say when the Hebrew people were delivered from Egypt by the Lord. Consider the word of the Lord. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Python and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one whose name was, was named Shiprah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews, you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live now, a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, 
And when she saw that he was a fine boy, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and, and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. While her attendants walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened the basket, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Please be in prayer with me and for me. Gracious and loving God, creator of heaven and earth, creator of all, creator of a people to bring your light to the world. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our salvation. Amen. Wow. There's a bunch here. There's a whole bunch here. I want to try and focus on just a few main thoughts for us this morning. First thing I want to look at there is change. It takes place, right? It comes along whether we think it's going to or not, and that's a good thing. It's a good thing. It says here, a new king rose who didn't know Joseph. Now, of course, Joseph was Jacob's son, and Joseph had been sold into slavery into Egypt and if it hadn't been for, I'll just cut the story real short. If it hadn't been for Joseph, that civilization wouldn't have been what it was in that particular time. Joseph had been second in charge in all of Egypt, second in charge on Pharaoh. But people die, regimes change. The new king came along, what Joseph had done, and all he a group of people that kept growing and growing and getting bigger and bigger. Separated, you know, the, 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 the Hebrews were in the land of Goshen. They were separated from the main other cities of Egypt. 
when we operate out of fear, the result is suffering. He caused a lot of suffering for the Hebrew people and ultimately caused a lot of suffering for his own people. He was operating out of fear. He said he had, he had no reason, he had absolutely no reason to believe that the Hebrews had of anything but good intentions for Egypt. I mean, they, were, they lived there too. That was, at, at, at this particular time, that was their home as well. Why would they want to side with an enemy? But, as people in power often do, probably laid awake at night, making up stuff about how the Hebrews were going to crawl out of the woodwork and get him or something. But they didn't. They had no desire to do anything like that. And look at what he does. Look at what he does. First off, he increases the workload on them. That doesn't work. They still multiply. They're still doing okay. That's the first thing he does out of his fear. Then he comes along and he, he calls the Hebrew midwives. He calls the Hebrew midwives to him. And did you notice? This is one of those places where the Bible is so good. It's so good. The Hebrew midwives are named. Pharaoh isn't named. We don't know who Pharaoh was. There are a couple of ideas, but depending upon who you're listening to, we're not really sure if the Exodus took place in the 14th century or the 15th century before Christ. Uh, there, are, there are scholars that split on either issue. And the Exodus is one of the, one of the few things in the Bible that there aren't any The thing, what we know of the Exodus comes just from the Bible. There are some other historical books that mention the Hebrew people, but the whole story of the Exodus like we have it is just in the Bible. So Pharaoh calls Shiprah and Puah before him and uh, says, if it's a baby boy, kill it. And of course, I just read it. Y'all heard it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. And when they came back to Pharaoh, they said, well, these Hebrew women aren't like the Egyptian women. Kind of a little dig at him, too, while they were doing it. And they said, when they go into labor, they just have those kids, you know. Those boys are born so fast that they can't do anything about it. And before they get there, they're born, all right? But, the, but here's the thing. Remember, we are in Egypt. God's people are being formed as a people. There is, there is no law yet. Moses has given, given that a little further down the pike here in Exodus. But... They had the traditions that had been carried down since Noah through the generations, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and on down. 
And in Genesis chapter 9, all right, Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says what? Anybody who sheds man's blood will have their blood shed, right? Do not murder was part of the covenant that God established with Noah after the flood. And the next verse, the next verse after that says, be fruitful and multiply. Shipra and Puah knew that. They knew that. And they didn't disobey it. And they were honored because of it. And they were blessed because of it. The scripture tells us they had families of their own. And then finally, Pharaoh says what? He says to all the people of Egypt, if you see a Hebrew boy baby, throw it in the river. Wow, you know, that's, uh, that's pretty radical. Now, just over at, the, over at the side in your thinking, two things I'd like for you to think about when you reread this passage. One is, this is a type of creation story all over again. God is creating a people. He's creating a people. And the other one is, the other one is, it shows us there's a parallel here between what went on when Jesus was born. Remember, Herod tried to kill all the boy, boy children, the male children. Anyway, as I said earlier, God initiates salvation for all of us and for God's people. And Exodus is about how God redeemed his people, saved his people from slavery and bondage in Egypt and formed them into people that could carry God's love and message to the whole world, to the whole world. So it says, Pharaoh's daughter went down to bathe in the river. And again, this is, this, I, I think about this often. Everybody here has it better than Pharaoh had it, right? Or his family. Or you can, or you can name all sorts of people throughout history. Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, pick one. We have more comfortable lives than any of those people had, you know. Pharaoh didn't have AC, right? Pharaoh didn't, you know, Pharaoh's daughter didn't have a hot tub in her bathroom, right? She had to go down to the river. And there she saw in an ark. The word, the word for basket there is the same word that is used for ark for Noah, back in the flood. She sees this little ark and she picks it up and Moses is there. Wow. And what happens? Moses' sister, Miriam, is watching because her mother told her to, presumably. And she says, you want me to get somebody to nurse that baby for you? And Pharaoh says, sure. And she even paid her. Uh, how's, that? how's that for a deal, right? You get paid for taking care of your own child. Ah, that's a new twist on things. But it's also God's grace. It's also God's grace. Isn't it ironic? 
And again, it shows how we like to think that we're in charge, especially when we're in a position like Pharaoh, all right? He wants all the boys killed. He wants all the boys killed, and he's not worrying about the girls. And who foiled his plans? The girls, Shipra, Pua, Moses' mother, Moses' sister, and his own daughter, right? They're the ones that sabotaged his plans when you stop and think about it. So I want to focus for one more, one more minute, because we're about out of time, on Shipra and Pua, because I think they're examples for all of us. You know, sometimes the circumstances look pretty cruddy. Sometimes the things we're told to do conflict with God's Word. But they didn't let it bother them, right? They went ahead and they did the right thing. They did the right thing. You know, it was, there, were, there was a good possibility that when Pharaoh called them on the carpet, he could have just had them killed, Right? But he didn't, you know, he didn't. They had God's protection. They did the right thing. All of us have the opportunity daily to do the right thing or not do the right thing. Now, in the passage that Susan read from Romans chapter 12, one of the things it says in there, in the NRSV, not in the message, but because Gene Peterson translates it a little bit differently, although it's a very good translation, especially in that passage. It's one of the places where uh, Gene does better. God says, uh, Paul says what? He says, we should follow God's will. And, and what is God's will? He says, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So here's your task for the days ahead. Pretend like the record button is on on your voice recorder on your cell phone. Pretend like that's on all day long. And then play it back at the end of the day. See how much of what you said had to do with what was good and acceptable and perfect. And if you do that, if you do that, you'll find yourself in a position where you're more prone to do like Shipra and Pua did instead of doing things that are contrary to God's will. And never forget Never forget that God initiates the works of salvation for all of us. It's up to us to follow His lead. Amen? Now go in peace and talk about and think about what's good and acceptable and perfect. And as you do it, do it with the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.